You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 408, iTunes is dead. Should we all be in mourning? Dystopia is here. American immigration want to check your Twitter account. And as Rihanna tops the Forbes rich list, we ask, is income from music for the few and not the many? That's all coming up after Go Team and Lady Flash.
to date, that track remains their biggest selling single, and from the 2004 album Thunder, Lightning, Strike, it reached number 26 on the UK Top 40, the deliciously sample-heavy sound of Go Team and Lady Flash. I do like the Go Team mm. a great deal. I must be that song was everywhere at one point, wasn't it? It was yeah. on everything, on telly, it was on adverts. It just seemed to sort of saturate Britain. And I saw the Go Team a few years ah. after that in 2008. I didn't, they weren't really known to me. I did know Lady Flash, mm. and I think I might have known Bottle Rocket, both off of their, their debut album. And we went to Latitude in 2008, I think it was, and they were on the main stage. And looking back on it now, I've since fallen out with this room, which makes it even oh. funnier. I went I went to see them with this friend. Um we stood through various bands because she wanted to see um Death Cab for Cutie I think who I thought were okay. But um just before them the Go team came on and they really were a complete riot of color and sound as you can imagine. And lots of people particularly you know people like me throwing very uh, n- uh, nerdy indie white people shapes <laughs> in the crowd to this kind of blaring funk. And my friend who was quite small stood there in the middle of it all with her arms Folded, almost like a sort of tantrum weird child who absolutely hated them for reasons which I never could quite establish. And um, and yeah, I thought the go team were terrific. They were such fun, and they had this uh, this tiny kind of front woman called Ninja who just kept jumping up and down, shouting, "Latitude, are you ready for this?" Just over and over. It was just it was great fun. I I, I fell in love with them instantly, and I've been a big fan ever since. Welcome to the podcast from the Parish Council. It's episode four hundred and eight. Uh, I'm Terence Stackham. And, okay, listeners, don't say anything. Let's just see how she reacts to this, okay? And here she is, the Melania Trump of podcasting. It's Juliet Harris. You see, the thing is, it's not actually Melania Juliet Harris. It's a stand-in because (laughs) the real Melania can't put up with you anymore, Terrence. How do you like them apples? Good That's morning, a f- everyone. Fair, fair <laughs> enough response. In fact, it, it, probably what you've got in common with Melania is, is having extreme patience at being <laughs> lumped in with someone you've got to spend time with. <laughs> I couldn't possibly comment. What can I say? Back in 2001, just when our collections of MP3s from Napster and Audio Galaxy and our other digital tracks Zara, i think as well yes yeah. that's it all and then the ones you rip from cds as well yeah, um, that was always my my um favored method um they're all becoming a bit of a tangle and hard to control and then along came apple with their itunes or if you're in america itunes app uh, that suddenly meant we could manage our expanding library of music files followed shortly by the itunes store which was supposed to be so convenient that people would stop pirating music because it was easier just to <laughs> pay 99 pence and or well, 79 pence, yes, or indeed 69 pence in some cases. Was it really? I'd forgotten, yes, I'd forgotten. Mm. The, the I still cost. occasionally buy music through iTunes, but anyway, Do we'll go on right. to discuss this in a minute. With, with a click, there was a trick, uh, a track, sorry, that you wanted. A um, trick and a trick. A, tri- a trick of a track, a track of a trick. Um, however, as the years passed and many people turned to streaming services and some returned to collecting vinyl, iTunes became less favoured, and this week... Apple announced iTunes iTunes will be replaced with a a new app, Catalina, which will also integrate podcasts and television. Some will be saddened by the loss of the iTunes app. I won't be one of them. I I found it very confusing and not user-friendly. If you have several devices, as most of us do, an iPhone, a computer, a PC, Mac, a a tablet, Um, then you would probably want to access your music on all three. But for example, this used to terrify me. It used to say, do you want to synchronise your music or your playlists? And then you would get these 
terrifying messages that say things like synchronizing will delete your files from your primary playlist you think what 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 does that mean do do i go ahead uh is that supposed to happen you know will i lose everything it's very unhelpful i won't miss it uh jules i won't miss itunes will you no, well, and I, I'm inclined to agree with you with this. Mm, I still plenty. am an Apple user. I have an mm. iPhone. I still... So Apple are... Um, you, I, I didn't know about Catalina, I must admit. Long may she reign. I rather <laughs> like Apple's way now of breaking down... So I use the Apple Music um, sort of thing. That I, use, I don't really use the iTunes app. I mm. use the Music app, which um, has been broken down. We still have a, a podcast app as well. So the only reason that I was regularly using iTunes is when I was regularly doing a radio show mm. I used to use it as a way of ordering my play you know ordering my track list for the evening and also I used to find it quite useful um, for buying individual tracks and still do sometimes and mm. I've actually started buying individual tracks again rather than just downloading because if you pay a subscription to Apple Music it works in the same way as Spotify does and you can uh, you can do unlimited downloads if you pay mm. 9.99 a month oh, so I have been doing that but that didn't enable me to convert it into an MP3. No. This is very boring if you're not me. No, it didn't for enable a, for me a, to, to yeah, yeah to for a show it into for a music show. It for a show. Vital, yeah. And also this week I realised just I'm always just you know just running to catch up with the curve. Um, just before they announced that they were junking the whole thing this week, I thought oh I'm, I will buy some tracks because I've heard some things on the radio. Two of which I picked us to, to listen to this week. Right. And I just thought you know I I really ought to pay for music really because you know it doesn't just happen in a vacuum. Musicians work very hard. And, and you know to to, mm-hmm. to make a living out of it, and Fair they point. should be able to make a living out of it. That's a topic that we'll um, that we'll investigate later this yes. week, I think, as well. Yeah. So so uh, the only issue with iTunes, of course. Is that, like you say, it is un- incredibly unwieldy software that doesn't seem to quite understand that we don't just listen to music in one place anymore. And occasionally I've found that if I've bought or downloaded things on my phone, they appear in my iTunes on my laptop and that seems to work all right. But uh, the amount of... It seems it seems a little bit like Java in that it constantly... It's like the sort of the roof of the Sistine Chapel or whatever. It's <laughs> never quite finished. There's always another... 7.6.2.2a yeah. brackets i close brackets update that you need to download and then it's finished except it's not because it will never be finished and except now it's somewhat philosophically it finally is but um yeah i i find it occasionally vexatious software to use and that it freezes for no apparent reason does that all the time to me so i shan't miss swearing at itunes as it's frozen <laughs> having said that though I, I i do like taking the opportunity to buy individual tracks yes i have started collecting vinyl again but equally i i do like the idea that i can buy the odd song or two i always it actually broadened my pop horizons when i was younger because i didn't have the embarrassment of going into a shop to buy a justin mm. timberlake record i could just buy the one and i didn't have to spend 11 quid on an album which i probably wasn't going to like too much yes. i could just buy individual tracks so actually in that sense i will always think that itunes did lots of us a great a really big service but Having said that, the unwieldiness of the interface means that I think we can look forward to hopefully a happier time doing that. Yes, because we expect everything now to be simple to use right out of the box. Well, and... Absolutely, because it's not simple to ma- it's not e- it's not difficult to make, is what I'm saying, is it? Particularly, no, that's right. And any new device now, we, for example, we don't want to be working our way through some uh, detailed 
hardback uh, a book just to just to switch a device on yeah, and uh, you know we want it just to work and, and in a way we become spoiled because we'll never go backwards and be willing to open up some huge set of instructions but i'm not convinced this uh, catalina named by the way after a, an island off the coast of los angeles um catalina will be quite the success they hope as um so many of us stream music now, um, podcasts, and we watch mm. TV on catch-up through our television uh, provider. Um, but I suppose it is there for, for people with MP3s. And um, the other thing, it, it, of course, inevitably, um, I learned this week that this Catalina is going to come with voice control. So that's a, another device for, for you to shout at, uh, essentially. Uh, mm, absolutely, yeah. Coming next, um, have you made fun of Mr. Trump on Twitter or Facebook? <laughs> if so, don't expect to just stroll through immigration next time you visit America. Chilling news right after a brand new track from Stealing Sheep.
fan of Steeding Sheep for quite some time. I think I might have played their music on the, the podcast previously. There really does need to be more all-female, psychedelically pop-inspired trios <laughs> from uh, from Liverpool, frankly. That's not a big subgenre, and I think they're excellent. Uh, and also, that song is a total earworm. I found myself completely uh, completely beholden to that for most of the week. I and mean, that was Stealing Sheep. It's from their new album, which is out, n- out now, as I think they say. Um, they've had several records that have sort of done reasonably well and slightly better each time so it'd be interesting to see if this um if this takes them up again to another sort of notch really i love their kind of their sort of sheeny pop that they kind of do but with electro weirdness to boot so from the album big whales that is uh, stealing sheep and why haven't i it's excellent very earwormy as you suggest mm. and um they have a few live dates this summer at festivals all across the uk including the green man festival in mm. august Once again in this life, I'm very grateful to Juliet because last week she recommended that I watch a new BBC series called Years and Years. And Mm. maybe Jules will tell us a little bit more about it in a minute. But um, by the way, US uh, American listeners, it starts on HBO in the States on the 24th of June. Oh, that's Um, great. You're in for a treat, people mm. over Bond. I mean, just in a sentence for me, it centres around a family in Manchester in 2019, but then we're catapulted uh, into there and the world's uh, future into the 2020s and beyond. And it really is quite a worrying look into what might be waiting for us. Um, And as this tremendous series airs in the UK and America, now comes news this week in the real world that from last Friday, visa applicants to America must provide all information about social media accounts that they've used in the last five years. Mm. And the State Department says this, this is a direct quote, we are constantly working to find mechanisms to improve our screening processes to protect US citizens while supporting legitimate travel to the United States, end of quote. Now, Jules... This is a true story from the New York Times this week, but it has extraordinary echoes of this brilliant new uh, Russell T. Davis series, Years and Years. Yes, it does, rather. And to just kind of add to Terence's mm. sort of praise for Years and Years, I saw it and just completely fell in love with it. I thought it was fantastic. The thing that it makes it very Russell T. Davis is that you really care about the characters involved, I think. it's It centres around a family and all of them are very well drawn as characters there's some fantastic acting performances in it um emma thompson is the sort of standout as this um like you say slightly sinister sort of um quasi political figure and she she is it's a terrific performance from her but there are also excellent people in it like russell tovey and uh, jessica hines was stevenson for those of us old enough to remember spaced and uh, and various other uh, rory kinnear and various other excellent acting performances in it and reed as well and And the thing that makes it so prescient but also so frightening is that much of it centres around looking at our relationship with technology and how that will perhaps change but also looking at the, our relationship with the state as well and how those three those three kind of angles are starting to become intertwined and like you say we do seem to have this situation here whereby it almost feels like the government is is dipping so deeply into our lives to find out exactly what our views are why should my views on whether or not I agree with the current political Im- administration of a country interfere with whether or not I want to go to visit that country as a tourist, just because I I don't have a great deal of time for the president doesn't mean that I don't president doesn't mean that I don't want to go and check out Central Park in New York. It doesn't mean I didn't very much enjoy going to Las Vegas. You know, it's incredibly frustrating and worrying. Mm. Although, again, another example of how sometimes 
uh, governments that are sort of to all intents and purposes liberal use certain tools which are then corrupted i you could argue over here that a lot of the um of the tory policy which has proved to be so vexatious and damaging over the last nine years so things like atos work assessments for people who are disabled that are being assessed as to whether or not they're still entitled to benefit and whether they could work uh, the decline of legal aid things like that are all stem from initiatives that were that were rolled out in a very limited way under the new Labour government in 97 to 2010 and I always argue that there was a great deal of naivety about the new Labour government that I don't think they were malign at all but equally the tools that they brought in in a limited sense were then corrupted by later governments and one could argue that this New York Times article that, that Terence sent me earlier this week um does make the point um, the move represents a step up from a September 2017 measure in which the Homeland Security Department proposed and enacted a regulation calling for the surveillance of social media use of all immigrants including naturalised citizens which is just jaw dropping really but it says crucially during the Obama administration the State Department began to ask visa applicants to voluntarily submit their social media information so it just goes to show that you know sometimes you know, apparently uh, hip and groovy and liberal governments introduce mm. these kind of measures in a very limited way and you almost feel like saying to these people you need to think very 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 carefully before you introduce anything of that nature because don't think it's always going to be you in power because guess what one day it probably won't be it will probably be someone else who might be better than you and then you've just given them a perfect tool that they can roll out in a non-limited non-responsible way so so i am cross about this but i am slightly cross with the, the preceding administration both in the US and over here in the UK for its naivety which which has sort of played a part in leading us to this terrible point I want to have a little pop at the left this week why not I hey, go on would you agree with me um, it is troubling we're going through confrontational times it, yes I think it, that's a really neat way of putting it it used to be that the left argued that it had the moral high ground as many violent yes. incidents in protests were blamed mostly correctly on extreme right-wing agitators but increasingly right. we see more and more violence from people claiming to be from the left in politics and just in the week we record this there's been widespread footage of left-leaning people at a small trump protest this week president trump's been in the uk and these people are bullying harassing and throwing milkshakes over a lone Trump supporter who dared to walk amongst them and it really was quite a horrifying footage um, mainly for the hatred on the faces of the people uh, screaming into this man's face but and this intolerance is in is increasing from all angles of society of course but and of course much of it traceable back I, I'm sure it can be argued to the Brexit referendum but this sort of violent behavior and threats to day-to-day -day life are and this is where I'm linking it in much of it it it's it, it's what leads some countries towards, um, and I know I'm going to an extreme here, it leads countries towards martial law and curfews. And before you know it, democracy's vanished and it's a distant memory. Because Just because someone holds a different view to ourselves doesn't mean we have the moral or legal right to shout them down, douse them in milkshake, or worse, unleash uh, physical violence on them. Or, or we'll end up in a sorry. No, I was just going to say we'll, we'll end up in a real life situation that mirrors um, the TV program we've been talking about years and years. Yes, but yeah, I, I do agree that it is you know that isn't acceptable behaviour. Having said this, though, the only I, I I think your point about the moral high ground is a mm. good one, but I I 
I keep thinking back, and I think that the the aggression was difficult. But then mm. thinking, and well, I don't agree with the milkshake throwing. That mm. we can definitely say I don't agree on that. But when it comes, I I do feel that the Trump administration. This is the end, presumably, if they check social media of me going to go, going to America in the meantime. <laughs> but I do feel that the Trump administration is starting to behave in a fascist way. I do genuinely believe that. And I think back, and if you proclaim yourself to be an active supporter of that, then part of me thinks that actually fascism. It, it, it doesn't have an equivalent on the left, I don't think. I think fascism is extremely dangerous. We have all know the consequences of fascism. You know, there have been two world wars to fight back against fascism. And I do think back to in Britain in the 20s and 30s, we had a, an up, a sort of slight upsurge here, a character called Oswald Mosley um, and the black shirts um, were sort of doing their thing. And there was the sort of famous Battle of Cable Street in London where they were literally physically fought off by, by very brave people in East London who made it very clear that the politics of fascism and the, 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 the its own violence of fascism was rejected. So part of me thinks don't throw milkshakes over people, partly because it's a waste of a jolly good drink in my mm. view but also I think, well do you know somehow you're never going to be able to appease fascists enough you can always give and give and give to fascists but eventually you have to get to a point where you make a stand and yeah, if you if you go around saying that you support Trump, everyone is entitled to a point of view politically. But if you are saying you actually support a fascist, then to some extent, you need to deal with the consequences of that. I can't agree with that. I think you've got to be able. Uh, it, people need to be argued with uh, by debate. But it's not and... going to work with fascist Terence. It will never ever work with fascism. But you you see... will never, you will never ever be able to give them enough. Look what's happening with Nigel Farage's Brexit party over here. In Who are Britain. hugely popular. Yes, well, what they're saying at the moment is hugely popular, but not popular enough to win their first parliamentary seat, I would point out, this week. Um, the thing about about the, the, the hard Brexiteers, so Farage and co, is no matter how much you give them, it will never be enough. So, so you could give them a customs union, it won't be enough. You could give them leaving the single market, it won't be enough. You could give them Theresa May's now, unfortunately, rather derided backstop, which, as much as I don't like her, was an attempt to 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 try and try and deliver the impossible um and they didn't want that and they don't want a canada style arrangement you can give and give and give to these people but it will never be enough no but George, you were talking about um black shirts and fascists and talking about the nine, you know 1930s or but, but, but don't oh, think hold, it's hold not going to happen again it's happening no. again now absolutely and of course and i'm totally against all of that of course and the outcome of that was uh, the rise of the nazi party and and the ex- the killing uh, of um, Jewish people uh, simply for being Jewish. Now, you've got to look at your own side of the political yeah, sphere absolutely. there, who yeah. at the moment, you know, the person that was elected uh, against the yes. Brexit purpose in, in Peterborough is r- 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 well known for uh, signing up and, and cheering and no, anti-Semitic And, no, and nobody comments. is angry about that than me, mm. but that doesn't stop also being able to oppose fascism. I can oppose both. Oh, I'm that's right. To that's, do that. Then that, that's our agreement. We can oppose both. That's what I was coming to. I oppose fascism with all of my heart. I've you know, been on uh, 
uh, rock against racism marches in yeah. the 70s I ne- never you know <laughs> yeah. it's been my lifetime's uh, work to get to get rid of such stuff but we also have to acknowledge that on the other side of the political spectrum on the left there is a substantial problem um, yes there is of course there is and I, and I absolutely believe that there is but equally I yes there is a problem but but equally I think that at some point talking to fascists is going to hit a wall mm-hmm. coming up on a totally different topic, Rihanna. <laughs> it's a bit of a hard uh, move, this is. Absolutely not a fascist, Rihanna. No. We're progressively <laughs> pro-Rihanna around these parts, yes. Coming up, Rihanna is the richest performer in pop, but is music wealth now a mirror to the wider world? That's next, after this splendid track from back in the 80s, it's the Mekongs.
from the heart of West Yorkshire and still going strong. Uh, that was a single from 1988. The, the very splendid Mekons and Ghosts of American Astronauts. What an excellent choice that is. I very much agree with you on your choice of the Mekons, Terence. I uh, the, 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 the Mekons are one of those people, one of those bands that had a longer tail than a lot of the post-punk bands of their era, didn't they? So I associate them with people like the Delta Five and yes. the Modettes and people like that from the late 70s, early 80s. Yet they seem to keep going in a way that some of those bands didn't. And there's still several original members, uh, John Langford and Tom mm. Green Greenhaw, um, are you know still uh, very much part of the band. So That's good great, that yeah. they're still going. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine um, who knows about these things earlier this week and he told me as an aside in a wider conversation that it's i think quite an interesting fact that in the year you can say well we'll be the judge of that uh, in, in, <laughs> no, I, I was willing to you know yeah, to, give, to give, buy in yeah. yeah no in the year 2000 which is what 19 years ago the four oh, members don't say that that's so alarming oh, no, sorry carry on me. the four members of culture club each earned £80,000 from record record royalties alone. So that's physical sales of music, CDs, records, cassettes, whatever. Almost all of it coming from their 1980s hits, whether in compilations or people still going back and buying the singles and the albums. So £80,000 each in the year 2000. Um, in, 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 the, in 2000, most people were still buying physical music of course now in 2019 that annual income from music tracks is down to five thousand pounds per year mm. and it be it's because recorded uh, music income now comes from streaming services yes. such as spotify and payments yes, as we spoke about earlier yeah. yeah heavily reduced in the short term i mean spotify's argument is yes yes but you'll get an income over a longer spill yes but know, if that, that is if that mm. is a penny every three months i'm not convinced how useful uh, that is Exactly. That's the what artists argue back forcefully, of course. So it's no surprise that to make ends meet, stars like Rihanna have to branch out and find new, new ways to exploit their, if we must call it that, their brand. Now, Rihanna has been <laughs> su su spectacularly successful, Jules, with Ooh. much of her $600 million fortune not coming from music at all. No, absolutely. She's got the inevitable perfume line and things like that, hasn't she? By the way, shout out to this enjoyably crass um, opening gambit to the BBC News uh, story talking about this from Newsbeat. And I have to say, I've always been quite a fan of Newsbeat, the Radio 1 news service. I think it gets a tone for a younger audience quite right. And I can't decide if this is awful or amazing. I suspect it's possibly <laughs> both. Um, although Rihanna hasn't released an album in more than three years, it's clear the work, 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 work she's putting into her other business Ventures is paying off. Thank you for reproducing that hit, uh, Radio One News Media Workers. Um, yeah, like you say, she's got a, a beauty range. Most of it comes from her Fenty Beauty range, named after her surname, of course. Um, she's got a, a lingerie, a clothing range, all that kind of thing. Um, she seems to be um, investing her money wisely and of course you know but well done to her for investing but of course it has little to do with music like you say really and so and we were in this kind of strange world where like you say most of the income coming into music seems to seems to be piling up the top and not down the bottom i have a, a small anecdote about uh, about um the the sort of how music how you can make a lot of money in music if you are in the right place in the right time if you see what i mean so so when i used to work for a a, a law firm we had someone that come in that used to do family law and she acted for somebody who's 
I might have told this story before, apologies if I have, whose partner, or, or soon to be ex-partner rather sadly, had a quarter share in one song on the second Adele album. Oh, right. So 21. So that sold shed loads, mm. as I'm sure people know. Um, it really did sell millions, millions, millions. It was one of the first records that really sold in recent years uh, to levels that you could really compare the classic rock albums to have sold. So, so like, not quite at Sgt. Pepper and Dark Side of the Moon mm. levels, but you know what I mean? It was yeah, one, of the, one of the records that really sold it huge mm. again. So this, this uh, chap had a quarter share in one song on this album. So he'd written, so he was one of four mm. writers on one song. That was enough to bring him an income of £150,000 mm. a year. That's mm. that's that's how much money you can still make from the music industry if you're in the right place in the right time. But although although he was you could argue oh, well, four people made that off that song. Yes, fine, okay, and there were lots of different writers on the album, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But I agree with you. It does seem completely well it just goes to all it demonstrates rihanna's fortune is that most of her money is not made from music most of it is made from from other ventures that she has got a profile to do because of music so music has kind of been a gateway drug really more than it's been a means to an end hasn't it rather Mm. than necessary necessarily the end which is a bit depressing and saddening really i wonder how if the vinyl resurgence will continue to grow because it is a thing now i think and it's not just a mm. thing because i'm into it it does seem to be to be gathering pace the fact that that places are manufacturing record players again now and you can buy record players in most supermarkets and most and most high streets such as they still are mm. makes me think oh well maybe it is a thing that's going to happen again but it'd be interesting to see if that turns the wheel back again towards you know sort of proper songwriting and and, and music and whether we'll end up down this road that we have done with record store day which is it's just reproducing the same old records at great expense rather than encouraging new ones yes and this um element of uh, a few artists having all the dough it, it ties in with a piece i read in in the new york times this week mm-hmm. it was an article by uh, alan kruger who was professor of economics at princeton and mm, I've, I've read things by him before he's very interesting yes actually it's, it's um it, it comes from a very uh, interesting book rockonomics a backstage tour of what the music industry can teach us about economics and life and from that there was this article that that, that had extracted information from that um yeah, he finds a comparison in music with the wider economy. And Kruger found, um, I'm not going to make us go knee-deep in statistics here, but just a couple of that really are kind of quite mind-boggling, really. Kruger found that the top 0.1% of artists accounted for more than 50% of all album sales in 2017. That is boggling, isn't it? <laughs> it that is. is just crazy. And income from touring shows an even... It's an even greater disparity between top and bottom. In 1982, the top 1% took 26% of all concert income. Mm. In 2017, the top 1% of artists took 60%, 60 wow, 60% of all concert job. revenue. And these are Rihanna, Drake and The Weeknd were the top of uh, that of that scale. Now, where I think this is interesting is Kruger shows that this is all a remarkable mirror with the broader economy. In America, since 1980, 66% of all income gains have gone to the top 1% 
of the population of America. Which is, which is ridiculous, isn't it? And that's what Trump was capitalising mm. on. And it's going back to the sort of the, the kind of the fascism thread and the idea of, of you know, relatively well, relatively wealthy people in society and politics and the same thing with Brexit over here. And all the people that are shouting for a no-deal Brexit are the people that are going to are going to win on the hedge funds if that happens. And they are getting their support from people who are either not terribly bright or terribly desperate one might argue they their lives can't get any worse and they think well why not maybe it is that simple you know they succeed in business they understand these things turns out that they haven't really got your interests at heart but yeah like you say is this is seems to be this kind of wave that rather than than people saying well we need to be you know we we need to rebalance society so that it is more fair and equal at the moment it is it is not those voices who are winning the trickle down sort of economics has proven to be a bit of busted flow and people like Trump and Farage are capitalising on that, aren't they? Well, the trickle-down thing simply doesn't work because... No, no, uh, it doesn't. It's a busted flush. Since 1980, the bottom... 1980 to 2017, the bottom 90% of Americans saw their actual incomes shrink so he attributes it all music and general economy uh, to what what he calls the superstar markets kruger it's a power law where all Mm. growth like a magnet is attracted to those that already have everything so you know going back to what we were saying about riri um earlier so time passes but essentially everything stays the same doesn't it wow and on that on that cheery note hope you have enjoyed everything this week (laughs) (laughs) um now um jules when you're um not um going down to mcdonald's to actually drink a milkshake absolutely why would i throw it at someone when i can enjoy that delicious milkshakey goodness what else will you be doing this week I'm going to see Stereolab in Brighton Ooh, on Tuesday and I'm very, very excited about that because I've never seen Stereolab before at the Concord too. I believe that's long since sold out, so very much forward looking to that. On Thursday evening, I will be going to the Delaware Pavilion in Becks Hill. Um, they have an interesting kind of series of concerts called Outlands, which is a mix of kind of music that is a, that is a bit sort of... Um, a bit sort of off the beaten track a little bit it's not it's not you know your dreadful free jazz that you hate necessarily but it's but it's it's described as a new national experimental music network and uh, a friend of a friend of mine is playing um so we're very much looking forward i'm just having a look to see um this is taking place on thursday it's semiconductor and earth eater they call themselves so um so we're looking forward to that so i'm looking forward to going and seeing that and then i'm a djing at a private party next uh, next saturday so uh, so, so many and various things to do, but uh, hopefully I will see people at the Delaware Pavilion or maybe at Stereo Lab if you have a ticket. And we've, as we um, discussed before, the Delaware Pavilion in Bexhill worth visiting for the incredible Art Deco oh, it's, building. It's, it's amazing! Alone. It's amazing! I um, I love the fact that, that the the Delaware's um, little bio is it, it's, it's great. There's many things to recommend the Delaware Pavilion. They have good exhibitions there. They have good bands before. Now I was sorry to have missed the Craig Charles Funk and Soul show, which uh, did a, an event there at a, a bank holiday. I love the fact that their little Twitter bio is established in 1935, modern ever since. Excellent, excellent. Now, uh, meanwhile, uh, thanks very much for listening. It's much appreciated. And also thanks to producers uh, Hilly and Rona. Yeah, as always. Um, Now, I don't know much about this band, Jules. Um, They're from California and uh, they have a new album out. Yes, that's pretty much all I know. <laughs> I can't, I can't oh, expand your knowledge any more than we are at the moment. It's from their album Laughing Matter, and uh, this is oh, it's just so lovely. It just it starts off 
very sort of mildly and just gets nicer and nicer. It, this is called Airplane.
You've been listening to a Parish Council production. Mm-hmm.